This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto. It's December 5th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Many of us have had the unfortunate experience of witnessing the delays in New Zealand's health system firsthand. For some, that may simply mean a delay in seeing your GP or a few hours spent in the emergency room. But for others, the waiting can have long-term implications for their health or perhaps even result in death. NZ Herald investigative journalist Nicholas Jones for several months has been looking into cardiac patients and how they are being treated and has heard some shocking stories about lengthy waiting times for surgery and how some Kiwis are even heading overseas for better care. Today, on the front page, he joins us to discuss how we could be doing heart health better. Nicholas, when we last talked to you, it was about the state of our retirement sector. Now you're focusing on cardiac patients and how they're being treated. What's prompted this investigation? A number of years ago, I heard about an independent review that had been done into Waikato Hospital's cardiac surgery department. That's one of five hospitals in New Zealand that does cardiac surgery. It was a bit of a battle to get my hands on that, but when I did, it was probably one of the more damning reports I've ever seen. It said that services there were dysfunctional, grossly understaffed and pervaded by bullying, amongst other issues. Officials told me that they sort of did an overhaul that fixed those problems, but I've kept a close eye on wait times and how services are going ever since. So what have been some of the most shocking stories that you've heard since investigating this area? Definitely the the hardest thing or the most confronting thing to report on is the effect on patients who are caught in delays. One that stands out that I wrote about a couple of years ago was a man who was overdue for a triple bypass. He was at home one day and he had a massive cardiac arrest and his wife performed CPR and he was chopped to Waikato Hospital, but he didn't survive. So it's those sorts of stories that really bring home that there are people behind the numbers. Nicholas, what does the latest research show? How many people are actually affected by cardiovascular problems? It's a huge toll, one of the biggest in New Zealand. So cardiovascular diseases that include stroke kill nearly 10,000 New Zealanders every single year. And an article in this month's New Zealand Medical Journal estimates almost a quarter of those deaths are actually avoidable through better prevention and more timely access to things like those heart failure drugs. And that actually increases to half of all deaths among Māori and Pacific. So that's sort of an extraordinary number of people dying who don't need to be dying that young. And just to be clear, that number of potentially avoidable deaths, that's from more timely access to healthcare like those heart failure drugs, but also better prevention, keeping people healthier, exercise, better food. One thing that caught me about your reporting in this space is that there just seems to be so many stories 
of people suffering terrible adverse consequences and then having to go abroad for treatment. So one recent story that you reported on was of Jo Gaeta and her journey to Canada to get treatment. Can you tell us a little bit about her story? Yeah, Jo's a retiree based in Island Bay in Wellington and a little while ago she just felt increasingly breathless and fatigued. She had like a sort of pulsing sensation around her neck and she struggled to sleep because of that. And it got so bad that she could barely walk to her letterbox in the end. And eventually she learnt the problem and that was that one of her four heart valves wasn't closing properly. So when blood was pumping through her heart, it was actually leaking the wrong way back into one of her heart chambers. So she went to a number of cardiologists and open heart surgery can be done to replace that valve, which is called the tricuspid valve. But she was judged too risky for open heart surgery, so she was given some water pills and effectively that was all that could be done for her. Um, It would have been fatal. Her life was already pretty miserable and was probably going to get more miserable. But her son, Tony, he kind of didn't accept that and he went on a huge kind of internet research mission, spent hours contacting all sorts of doctors. To cut a very long story short, He found a cardiologist in Toronto, Canada, who's doing world-leading procedure where it's not open-heart surgery, so he puts a catheter, which is a flexible tube, through the groin, threads it through the blood vessel to the heart, and then once it's next to the damaged heart valve, he deploys an artificial heart valve system that kind of anchors in place, and for Joe, that completely stopped all the leakage of blood back into her heart, so... She felt better very rapidly. She flew home, I think, five days later, and she told me she feels like she's normal again. She's back gardening. It has to be said that was in trial phases. It's a very new procedure, but it's sort of a remarkable story. I'm a different person. I just feel my normal self again. I'm able to do all my housework and that, so I feel fine. If you can come up with the funding, which has obviously been a big issue as well, but if it's not cheap. Because there's a lot of people out there that have got the same problem, I know for a fact there are. And um, if something can be done, why have a, a miserable life? I think the thing that struck me about that story was how much Joe's quality of life had been affected because by the time her son got involved, she was confined to a wheelchair. So she was basically on death's doorstep during the period when her son was involved, right? Yeah, she. Um, I think she was in a wheelchair when she went onto the plane to fly to Canada. She could hardly walk more than a few steps and she felt debilitated from her symptoms. So it's quite an amazing turnaround for her. And I think this procedure is only suitable for a very small number of people and it's very early stages, but it sort of shows the type of treatment that is coming on board for heart conditions. How common are cases like hers? We've all seen those GoFundMe's where people are raising money to take their family members abroad. But how often do we see these cases of families in New Zealand taking their family members abroad for treatment? I think it's still extremely rare, to be honest. Her son, Tony, was kind of the obsessive force that got her that option in the end, and it cost them around $140,000, much of which they borrowed from friends and family. So a lot of people don't have that option or don't know about it and essentially slowly die. You reported earlier this year that health officials are actually considering flying cardiac patients to Australia to lessen delays. What prompted that thinking and how far along are we? Is this going to happen? Yeah, because of the pressure on the system and increasing delays, a group was established 
that um, brings together top surgeons and specialists as well as health officials from different hospitals to try to sort of send a patient from one hospital to the other if, if that's going to help reduce wait lists. I managed to get minutes from this national group and that showed that in January a Tafatu Ora advisor was um, sort of talking to the group about wanting to or preparing to brief the health minister about potentially sending patients to Australia for cardiac surgery, which is, you know, an extraordinary thing, I think, and kind of demonstrates how concerning these delays have become. The specialists in the group were really not keen on this idea and pushed back a little bit and the briefing was never produced. But um, yeah, I do think it shows the level of concern very high up about these delays. The Front Page is committed to keeping you informed about New Zealand. Follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or your preferred podcast provider so you can keep up with Aotearoa. Why is it that cardiac patients seem to be waiting so long? I think it's a pretty complex area in terms of trying to get more people operated on and treated. Obviously, the heart is a very serious thing if you have an open-heart surgery on that, and quite often people need days of recovery and intensive care. People probably remember during the COVID pandemic, there was a lot of discussion around the fact that our per capita ICU bed numbers are amongst the lowest in the developed world and there was debate around, you know, we need to increase that capacity but it's not just building the bed and the equipment, it's making sure you have highly specialised staff to provide 24-7 care and there's a global shortage of those sorts of people. So yeah, I think we have a low ICU capacity in New Zealand and that's one of the reasons why they can't just get through high numbers of people needing cardiac surgery. And these issues only become more pressing over time given that our population is ageing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the pressure will only increase. We've got an ageing population and there are more procedures and more treatments that can be done, but that also increases the numbers on the wait list. So this problem is not going to go away. We do have a new government now, Nicholas, with a 100-day plan filled with a number of priorities. What does that plan say about improving these waitlist delays, especially given that our new health minister, Dr Shane Ratey, was so critical of the government before coming into power? Yeah, he's well aware of this. I've talked to him about cardiac and cardiology delays, so this is something he's aware of. But there's obviously a lot going on in the health system, a lot of areas that need attention, so he'll have a pretty full plate. I think um, in their 100-day plan, one thing they talk about is introducing sort of targets for waiting times and that should cover cardiac surgery and cardiology but this is not going to be a quick fix or a quick thing to turn around. Nicholas is the problem here that with any health budget you have finite resources that have to be distributed and you have to prioritise the right things and at any point you're going to find a place where you have to cut off. So is that just where the problem lies here that we just don't have enough money to do absolutely everything? Yeah, I think funding is is a big part of it. I think there are other sort of gnarly problems in there around attracting the staff, training the staff. That's obviously a big one too. So it's not just funding. That would be a pretty easy fix if we could find that, but it's a lot more complicated. And, you know, New Zealand is nearby Australia, which pays its health workforce and its specialists a lot more. So, yeah, we're at sort of a global competition for people who can help us here. You're also covering other health issues at the moment. So where does heart health rank compared to those other major issues that the sector is facing? As people are aware, there are similar delays across 
many, many areas of health. But personally, from what I'm seeing, I think these are some of the more concerning backlogs just because people needing heart care and heart surgery, cardiology treatment, that's obviously an extremely serious thing and you don't want people to wait too long. condition. He needs a replacement aortic valve. He was diagnosed with this in March. He didn't go on a waiting list until November and I believe that he will die before the surgery has been done on him. And so I'm really here to point out the lack of health care available. Given that older people tend to vote more regularly than younger people, do you think there'll be growing pressure on governments, successive governments, to make changes to ensure that our health system works better, especially for those people who are ageing and suffering from more health difficulties as they get older? Yeah, I do think that pressure the health system is under has become an increasing political focus, and that reflects increasing concern amongst people affected by these sorts of delays or if you know your dad or your mum who's affected or your granddad or your grandma. So yeah, I do think there's sort of a building political pressure for some of these solutions. Health problems tend to be longer term systemic issues, but is there anything that the government can change in a three year term to ensure that we get on top of this or start getting on top of this? I think improvements can definitely be made within a term, but I do think that these sorts of issues, when you're talking about health workforce, that sort of thing, they will take longer than a term, and sector groups and unions have been calling for some time for a kind of cross-political party approach to try to make sure that when the political cycle comes around that progress doesn't stall in some areas, that we can have a plan to actually get on top of this, because it likely will take longer than a single term or even two terms. Nicholas, you're speaking to politicians on all sides of the divide. Are you noticing a growing willingness from those politicians to work together to create solutions that are better for the country longer term? It's still very political. There's still a lot of difference between Labour and National and the other parties on health. But I do think clinicians are becoming more linked up across the country and that sector voice has probably grown in strength. So that could filter through. So the potential link to bipartisanship really comes from those in the sector using their voices as a political tool to make sure that the right things happen over time. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think also just carrying on somewhat beneath the political service and working together and carrying on initiatives that might not be directly on a health minister's radar. Nicholas, given all the experts that you've spoken to, what changes would they like to see at a government level or at a Te Whatu Ora level to improve these outcomes? Yeah, I think one point to mention is it's not just cardiac surgery, but cardiology, which is a related area. Those services are under a lot of pressure as well. Dr. Jerry Devlin, who is the medical director of the Heart Foundation, a couple of weeks ago, he told me the wait times in cardiology are as bad as he's seen them in 25 years in New Zealand. And both the Heart Foundation and the Cardiac Society, which is the professional group for cardiologists, One thing they really want to see is kind of better treatment and better care earlier on in someone's journey with heart health. So one big one is that New Zealand doesn't really fund good heart failure drugs at the moment. There's funding available for diabetics who are at risk of heart failure, but the foundation and the society, they really say that every New Zealander with heart failure should be getting these drugs. 
and that will help them live longer, better, keep them out of hospital, reduce the burden on hospitals. So I think there are things that these um, leaders in the health sector really want done to actually kind of prevent people from getting so sick that they end up in an ED or in a hospital ward. So what we're looking for there is this consistency. So whether you have high blood pressure, diabetes or heart health issues, you have the medication that you need from an early enough stage so that you don't end up in the hospital with a crisis. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think there is the evidence base from comparable countries overseas on these sorts of things like heart failure drugs that really show they have a huge benefit. When we talked about the procedure that Joe Gator had, those sorts of things are great for a very small portion of people, but things like the heart failure drugs could really help thousands of New Zealanders. That's really something they want to change. Thanks for joining us, Nicholas. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.